Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful. How to give a killer presentation by Chris Anderson. A little more than a year ago, on a trip to Nairobi, Kenya, some colleagues and I met a 12-year-old Maasai boy named Richard. Uh, named Richard Turier or Tureri, who told us a fascinating story. His family raises livestock on the edge of a vast national park, and one of the biggest challenges is protecting the animals from lions, especially at night. Richard had noticed that placing lamps in a field didn't deter lion attacks, but when he walked the field with a torch, the lions stayed away. From a young age, he'd been interested in electronics, teaching himself by, for example, taking apart his parents' radio. He used that experience to devise a system of lights that would turn on and off in sequence using solar panel or using solar uh, panels, a car battery and a motorcycle indicator box and thereby create a sense of movement that he hoped would scare off the lions. He installed the lights and the lions stopped attacking. Soon, villages elsewhere in Kenya began installing Richard's lion lights. The story was inspiring and worthy of the broader audience that our TED conference could offer, but on the surface, Richard seemed an unlikely candidate to give a TED talk. He was painfully shy his English was halting. When he tried to describe his invention, the sentences tumbled out incoherently. And frankly, it was hard to imagine a pre-teenager standing on a stage in front of 1,400 people accustomed to hearing from polished speakers such as Bill Gates, Sir Ken Robinson, and Jill Balti Taylor. But Richard's story was so compelling that we invited him to speak. In the months before the 2013 conference, we worked with him to frame his story to find the right place to begin and to develop a succinct and logical arc of events. On the back of his invention, Richard had won a scholarship to one of Kenya's best schools, and there he had the chance to practice the talk several times in front of a live audience. It was critical that he build his confidence to the point where his personality could shine through. When he finally gave his talk at TED in Long Beach, you could tell he was nervous but that only made him more engaging. People were hanging on his every word. The confidence was there, and every time Richard smiled, the audience melted. 
When he finished, the response was instantaneous, a sustained standing ovation. Since the first TED conference uh, 30 years ago, speakers have run the gamut from political figures, musicians, and TV personalities who are completely at ease before a crowd to lesser-known academics, scientists, and writers, some of whom feel deeply uncomfortable giving presentations. Over the years, we've sought to develop a process for helping inexperienced presenters to frame, practice, to frame, practice, and deliver talks that people enjoy watching. It typically begin. It typically begins six to nine months before the event and involves cycles of devising and revising a script, repeated rehearsals, and plenty of fine-tuning. We are continually tweaking our approach because the art of public speaking is evolving in real time, but judging by public response, our basic regimen works well. Since we began putting TED Talks online in 2006, they've been viewed more than one million times. On the basis of this experience, I'm convinced that giving a good talk is highly coachable. In a matter of hours, a speaker's content and delivery can be transformed from muddled to mesmerizing. And while my team's experience has focused on TIDs in 18 minutes or shorter format, the lessons we've learned are surely useful to other presenters, whether it's a CEO doing an IPO road show, a brand manager unveiling a new product, or a startup pitching to VCS or VCs. Frame your story. There is no way you can give a good talk unless you have something worth talking about. Conceptualizing and framing what you want to say is the most vital part of preparation. We all know that humans are wired to listen to stories and metaphors abound for the narrative structures that work best to engage people. When I think about compelling presentations, I think about taking an audience on a journey. A successful talk is a little miracle. People see the world differently afterward. If you frame the talk as a journey, the biggest decisions are figuring out where to start and where to end. To find the right audience already know about your subject Sorry, to find the right place to start, consider what people in this audience already know about your subject and how much they care about it. Again, to find the right place to start, consider what people in the audience already, already know about your subject and how much they care about it. If you assume they have more knowledge or interest than they do, or if you start using jargon or get too technical, you lose them. The most engaging speakers do a superb job of very quickly introducing the topic, explaining why they care so, deep, so deeply about it, 
and convincing the audience members that they should too. The biggest problem I see in first drafts of presentations is that they try to cover too much ground. You can't summarize an entire career in a single talk. If you try to cram in everything you know, you won't have time to include key details and your talk will disappear into abstract language that may make sense if your listeners are familiar with the subject matter but will be completely opaque if they are new to it. You need specific examples to flesh out your ideas. So limit the scope of your talk to that which can be explained and brought to life with examples in the available time. Much of the early feedback we give aims to uh, much of the early feedback we give much of the early feedback we give aims to correct the impulse the impulse to sweep too broadly in a state go deeper go deeper give more detail don't tell us about your entire field of study tell us about your unique contribution a successful talk is a little miracle People see the word differently afterward. Of course, it can be just as damaging to over-explain or painstakingly draw out the implications of a talk. And, and there, the remedy is different. And there, the remedy is different. Remember that the people in the audience are intelligent. Let them figure some things out for themselves. Let them draw their own conclusions. Many of the best talks have a narrative structure that loosely follows a detective story. The speaker starts out by presenting a problem and then describes the search for a solution. There is an aha moment and the audience's perspective shifts in a meaningful way. If a talk fails, it's almost always because the speaker didn't frame it correctly, misjudged the audience's level of interest, or neglected to tell a story. Even if the topic is important, random uh, pontification, even if the topic is important, random pontification without narrative is always deeply unsatisfying. There is no progression, and you don't feel that you are learning. I was at an energy conference recently where two people, a city mayor and a former governor, gave back-to-back -back talks. The mayor's talk was essentially a list of impressive projects his city had undertaken. It came off as boasting, like a report card or an advertisement for his re-election. It quickly got boring. When the governor spoke, she didn't list achievements and instead she shared an idea. Yes, she recounted anecdotes from her time in office, but the idea was central and the stories explanatory or illustrative and also funny. It was so much more interesting. The mayor's underlying point seemed to be how great he was, while the governor's message was, here is a compelling idea, 
that would benefit us all. As a general rule, people are not very interested in talks about organizations or institutions unless they are members of them. Ideas and stories fascinate us. Organizations bore us. They are much harder to relate to. Business people especially take note. Don't boast about your company. Rather, tell us about the problem you're solving. Plan your delivery. Once you've got the framing down, it's time to focus on your delivery. There are three main ways to deliver a talk. You can read it, def- uh, you can read it directly off a script or a, a, tele, uh, a teleprompter. Again, you can read it uh, directly off a script or a teleprompter. You can develop a set of bullet points that map out what you're going to say in each section rather than scripting the whole thing word for word. Or you can memorize your talk, which entails rehearsing it to the point where you internalize every word verbatim. My advice, don't read it and don't use a teleprompter. It's usually just too distancing. It's usually just too distancing. People will know you are reading. And as soon as they sense it, the way they receive your talk will shift. Suddenly, your intimate connection evaporates and everything feels a lot more formal. We generally outlaw reading approaches of any kind at TED. We generally outlaw reading approaches of any kind at TED, though we made an exception a few years ago for a man who insisted on using a monitor. We set up a screen at the back of the auditorium in the hope that the audience wouldn't notice it. At first he spoke naturally, but soon he stiffened up and you could see this horrible sinking feeling passed through the audience as as people realized, oh no, he's reading to us. The words were great, but the talk got poor ratings. Many of our best and most popular TED talks have been memorized word for word. If you are giving an important talk and you have the time to do this, it's the best way to go. But don't underestimate the work involved. One of our most memorable speakers was Jill Bolt, uh, Jill Bolt Taylor, or Jill Bolte Taylor, a brain researcher who had suffered a stroke. She talked about what she learned during the eight years it took her to recover after crafting her story and undertaking many hours of solo practice. She rehearsed her talk dozens of times in front of an audience to be sure she had it down, to be sure she had it down. Obviously, not every presentation is worth that kind of investment of time. But if you do decide to memorize your talk, be aware that there is a predictable arc to the learning curve. Most people go through what I call the valley of awkwardness, where they haven't quite memorized the talk. If they give the talk while stuck in that valley, the audience will sense it. 
their words will sound recited uh, or their words will sound recited or there will be painful moments where they stare into the middle distance or cast their eyes upward as they struggle to remember their lines. This creates distance between the speaker and the audience. Getting past this point is simple, fortunately. It's just a matter of rehearsing enough times that the flow of words becomes second nature. Then you can focus on delivering the talk with meaning and authenticity. Don't worry, you'll get there. But if you do not have time to learn a speech, but if you do not, but if you don't have time to learn a speech thoroughly and get past that awkward valley, don't try. Go with bullet points on note cards. As long as you know what you want to say for each one, you'll be fine. Focus on remembering the transitions from one bullet to the next. Also, pay attention to your tone. Some speakers may want to come across as authoritative or wise or powerful or passionate, but it's usually much better to just sound conversational. Don't force it. Don't orate. Don't force it, don't orate, just be you. If a successful talk is a journey, if a successful talk is a journey, make sure you don't start to annoy your travel companions along the way. Some speakers project too much ego. They sound condescending or full of themselves and the audience shuts down. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. Develop stage presence. Develop stage presence. For inexperienced speakers, the physical act of being on stage can be the most difficult part of giving a presentation. But people tend to overestimate its importance. Getting the words, story, and substance right is a much bigger determinant of success or failure than how you stand or whether you're visibly nervous. And when it comes to stage presence, a little coaching can go a long way. The biggest mistake we see in early rehearsals is that people move their bodies too much. They sway from side to side or shift their weight from one leg or shift their weight from one leg to the other. People do this naturally when they are nervous but it's distracting and makes the speaker seem weak. Similarly, getting a person to keep his or her lower body motionless can dramatically improve stage presence. There are some people who are able to walk around the stage during a presentation, and that's fine if it comes naturally. But the vast majority are better off standing still and relying on hand gestures for emphasis. Perhaps the most important physical act on stage is making eye contact. Uh, find, uh, find five or six friendly looking people in different parts of the audience and look them in the eye as you speak. Think of them as a friends you haven't seen in a year whom you are bringing up to date on your work. That eye contact is incredibly powerful and it will do more than anything else to help your talk land. 
even if you don't have time to prepare fully and have to read from a script, looking up and making eye contact will make a huge difference. Another big hurdle for inexperienced speakers is nervousness both in advance of the talk and while they are on stage. People deal with this in different ways. Many speakers stay out in the audience until the moment they go on. This can work well because keeping your mind engaged in the earlier speakers can distract you and limit nervousness. Ami Cuddy, Ami Cuddy, a Harvard Business School professor who studies how certain body poses can affect power, who studies how certain body poses can affect power, utilized one of the more unusual preparation techniques I've seen. She recommends that people spend time before a talk striding around, standing tall, and extending their bodies. These poses make you feel more powerful. Again, she recommends that people spend time before a talk striding around, standing tall, and extending their bodies. These poses make you feel more powerful. It's what she did before going on stage and she delivered a phenomenal talk. But I think the single best advice is simply to breathe deeply before you go on stage. It works. In general, people worry too much about nervousness. Nerves are not a disaster. The audience expects you to be nervous. It is a natural body response that can actually improve your performance. It gives you energy to perform and keeps your mind sharp. Just keep breathing and you'll be fine. Nerves are not a disaster. The audience expects you to be nervous. Just reiterating this uh, statement. Acknowledging nervousness can also create engagement. Showing your vulnerability, whether through nerves or tone of voice, is one of the most powerful ways to win over an audience, provided it is authentic. Susan Cain, who wrote a book about introverts and spoke at our uh, 2012 conference, was terrified about giving her talk. You could feel her fragility on stage, and it created this dynamic where the audience was rooting for her where the audience was rooting for her, everybody wanted to hug her afterward. The fact that we knew she was fighting to keep herself up there made it beautiful and was the most popular talk that year. Plan the multimedia. Plan the multimedia. With so much technology at our disposal, it may feel almost mandatory to use at a minimum presentation slides. By now, most people have heard the advice about PowerPoint. Keep it simple. Don't use a slide deck as a substitute for notes. By, say, listing the bullet points you'll discuss, those are best put on note cards. And don't repeat out loud words that are on the slide. Not only is reciting slides a variation of the uh, prompter problem. Oh no, she's reading to us too. But information is interesting only once 
and hearing and seeing the same words feels repetitive. Again, uh, with so much technology at our disposal, at our disposal, it may feel almost mandatory to use at minimum at a minimum presentation slides. By now, most people have heard the advice about PowerPoint. Keep it simple. Don't use a slide deck as a substitute for notes by, say, listing the bullet points you'll discuss. Those are best put on note cards. And don't repeat out loud words that are on the slide. Not only is reciting uh, slides a variation of the uh, teleprompter problem. Oh, no, she is reading to us too. But the information is inter interesting only once, and hearing and seeing the same words feels repetitive. That advice may seem universal by now, but go into any company and you'll see presenters violating it every day. Many of the best TED speakers don't use slides at all, and many talks about and many talks don't uh, don't require them. If you have photographs or illustrations that make the topic come alive, then yes, show them. If not, consider doing without, at least for some parts of the presentation. And if you are going to use the slides, it's worth exploring alternatives to PowerPoint. For instance, TED has invested in the company uh, Prezi. For instance, TED has invested in the company Prezi, which makes presentation software that offers a camera's eye view of a two-dimensional landscape. Instead of a flat sequence of m images, you can move around the landscape. Uh, instead of a flat sequence of images, you can move around the landscape and zoom in to it if need be. Used properly, such techniques can dramatically boost the visual punch of a talk and enhance its meaning. Artists, architects, photographers, artists, architects, photographers, and designers have the best opportunity to use visuals. Slides can help frame and pace a talk and help speakers avoid getting lost in jargon or overly intellectual language. Art can be hard to talk about, better to experience it visually. I've seen great presentations in which the artist or designer put slides on an automatic timer so that the image changed every 15 seconds. I've also seen presenters give a talk accompanied by video speaking along to it. That can help sustain momentum. The industrial designer Ross uh, Lovegrove's highly visual TED talk for instance, use this technique to bring the audience along on a remarkable creative journey. Another approach, another approach creative types might consider is to build silence into their talks and just let the work speak for itself. The kinetic, the kinetic sculptor uh, Ruben Margolin used that approach to powerful effect. The idea is not to think. I'm giving a talk. The idea is not to think I'm giving a talk. Instead, think I want to give this audience a powerful experience of my work. 
the single worst thing artists and architects can do is to retreat into abstract or conceptual language. Video has obvious uses for many speakers. In a TED talk about the intelligence of uh, crows, for, inst for instance, the scientists showed a clip of a crow bending a hook to fish a piece of food out of a tube, essentially creating a tool. It illustrated his point far better than anything he could have said. Used well, video can be very effective, but there are common mistakes that should be avoided. A clip needs to be short. If it's more than 60 seconds, you risk losing people. Don't use videos, particularly corporate ones, that sound... Uh, don't use videos, particularly corporate ones, that sound uh, self-promotional or like uh, informer shells or like infor informer shells. Informer shells. People are conditioned to tune those out. Anything with a soundtrack can be dangerously off-putting. Anything with a soundtrack can be dangerously off-putting. And whatever you do, don't show a clip of yourself being interviewed on, say, CNN. I've seen speakers do this, and it's a really bad idea. No one wants to go along with you on your ego trip. The people in your audience are already listening to you live. Why would they want to simultaneously watch your talking head clip on a screen? Putting it together putting it together. We start helping speakers prepare their talks six months or more in advance so that, that they'll have plenty of time to practice. We want people's talks to be in final form at least a month before the event. The more practice they can do in the final weeks, the better off they'll be. Ideally, ideally they'll practice the talk on their own and in front of an audience. The tricky part about rehearsing a presentation in front of other people is that they will feel obligated to offer feedback and constructive criticism. Often the feedback from different people will vary or directly uh, conflict. This can be confusing or even paralyzing, which is why it's important to be choosy about the people you use as a test audience and whom you invite to offer feedback. In general, the more experience a person has as a presenter, the better the criticism he or she can offer. Uh, I learned many of these lessons myself in 2011. My colleague Bruno uh, Gusani, who curates our TED Global event, pointed out that although I'd worked at TED for nine years, served as the MSc, the MEC at our conferences and introduced many of the speakers. I'd never actually given a TED talk myself. So he invited me to give one and I accepted. It was more stressful than I'd expected, even though I spent time helping others frame their stories, frame my own in a way that felt compelling was difficult. I decided to memorize my presentation, which was about how web videos how web videos powers how web video powers global innovation and that was really hard 
even though I was putting in a lot of hours and getting sound advice from my colleagues, I, defi I definitely hit a point where I didn't quite have it down and began to doubt I ever would. I really thought I might bomb. I was nervous right up until the moment I took the stage, but it ended up going fine. It's definitely not one of the all-time great dead talks, but it got a positive reaction and I survived the stress of going through it. Ultimately, I learned firsthand what our speakers have been discovering for three decades. Presentations rise or fall on the quality of the idea, the narrative, and the passion of the speaker. Again, ultimately, I learned firsthand what our speakers have been discovering for three decades. Presentations rise or fall on the quality of the idea, the narrative, and the passion of the speaker. It's about substance, not speaking style or multimedia uh, pyrotechnics. Pyrotechnics. It's fairly easy to coach out the problems in a talk. It's fairly easy to coach out the problems in a talk, but there is no way to coach in the basic story. But there is no way to coach in the basic story. The presenter has to have the raw material. If you have something to say, you can build a great talk. But if the central theme isn't there, you're better off not speaking. Decline the invitation. Go back to work and wait until you have a compelling idea that's really worth sharing. The single most important thing to remember is that there is no one good way to, to, to do a talk. The single most important thing to remember is that there is no one good way to do a talk. The most memorable talks offer something fresh, something no one has seen before. The worst ones are those that feel formulaic. So don't, uh, so do not on any account try to emulate every piece of advice I've offered here. Take the bulk of it on board, sure, but make the talk your own. You know what's distinct was uh, you know what's distinctive about you and your idea play to your strengths and give a talk that is truly authentic to you this is very important to end take the bulk of again so so do not on any account try to emulate every piece of advice i've offered here take the bulk of it on board sure but make the talk your own you know what's distinctive about you and your idea. Play to your strengths and give a talk uh, that is truly authentic to you. Alhamdulillah, praise be to Allah.